Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Bai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that looks at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the future of spatial computing. You can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So today's episode is with the best immersive experience from Venice 2022. It's the man who could not leave. So this was awarded with the top prize at Venice, and uh, it's a 360 video. And as I was watching all the different experiences here, on my short list, I kept recommending people to definitely check out The Man Who Couldn't Leave and All That Remains. These two pieces from Taiwan that were on this whole other level in terms of like experimenting with the structure and the forms of immersive storytelling within VR itself. And so lots of innovation in terms of like lighting and staging and use of animation and blending different scales together. And it just was a real masterful piece and, and also just really emotionally evocative and a powerful, well-told story. So I had a chance to sit down with the director of Singing Chen to unpack a little bit of the process of creating this experience. I wanted to give a little bit of maybe a context before we start to dive in, and also to point people to this video that is a behind-the-scenes video that if you don't have a chance to check it out, again, I always recommend people to try to see the experiences first before really unpacking and listening to it. But if you don't always have an opportunity to, then always welcome to listen to these creators talk about their process. But the larger context of the story is about the white terror that happened in 1950s in Taiwan. This was a period of martial law in Taiwan that lasted 38 to 43 plus years. From Wikipedia, it says it started on May 19th, 1949. And then that martial law was lifted on the 15th of July, 1987. But others cite the repeal of Article 100 of the Criminal Code on the 21st of September, 1992. So anywhere from 38 to 43 years of martial law in Taiwan. And in that context of this white terror, this story takes place. I'm just going to read the description because I think it helps set a broader context for the story and where it's taking place. So within the walls of the former Green Island prison, political detainee A. Quinn tells the stories of imprisonment and persecution happened in the 1950s in Taiwan among fellow inmates. Frozen in time, he recounts his own experiences and those of his friend A. Ching, who never made it out. Experience the time and place, the waiting, and hope for a chance to keep the stories alive. The man who couldn't leave integrates the stories of numerous political victims of the white terror and told through the form of an undelivered family letter, an immersive VR experience of hope, fear, and camaraderie. So there's a number of different letters that were confiscated because they were being censored. And so imagine being a political prisoner, trying to write a letter back to your family. It doesn't ever reach your family. You may not ever know that. But these letters are made available after this white terror had been lifted. And Singing Chin got a hold of some of these letters and visited this wax museum in Green Prison and, and started from that point to be able to expand this out into an immersive experience. And again, the mastery of telling the story with the 360 video medium, uh, collaborating with Fonique, uh, the VR supervisor also had a chance to do an interview with because... Believe it or not, he had three projects that were at Venice Immersive, and they were all like launching at the same time. All that remains, the man who couldn't leave, and Redtail. VR supervisor Mingyuan Chen, yeah, just also had a lot of interesting insights into the process of creating this, and I'll, I'll have that as a separate interview and digging into his journey of working at Phonique, which the 360 videos that they have at Phonique, some of the best stereoscopic VR I've ever seen, including a lot of the stuff from Felix and Paul. Yeah, just some really amazing post-production processes that they have in order to really make this a piece that stands out in terms of pushing forward the language and grammar of immersive storytelling. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. 
A uh, quick logistical note is that this interview is actually in two sections. The first part is going to be the English version that is going to have Singing Chen being translated through the interpreter of Po Shan Wu. Then we're going to have my takeaways in English. And then the last section is going to be the Mandarin Chinese version. So if you want to listen to the Chinese version of this conversation, then you can skip forward to it'll roughly be around the halfway point. So this interview with Singing Chen happened on Friday, September 2nd, 2022 at the Venice Immersive in Lido, Italy. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. Hi everyone, my name is Bo Shan Wu and I'm working with director Xing Chen for this project, The Men Who Couldn't Leave, as the distribution coordinator. I'll also be translating for the director. Yeah. Uh, I'm come from Taiwan. Hi everyone, my name is Xing Yi Chen. I'm the director of The Men Who Couldn't Leave and I used to direct feature film and documentary. And The Men Who Couldn't Leave is my second VR film. My first VR film is called After Image for Tomorrow. And it's my pleasure to be here in Venice this time. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into making 360 videos. Uh, like, I used to direct and produce feature film and documentary. And my documentary were, like, mostly about the theater and dance, contemporary dance and contemporary artists. And when I directed my first VR film, I realized that VR it's about like space, just like in theater. But on the other hand, movie, feature film, it's more about like time. And that's how I think of like VR as a medium. Yeah. In your piece, you have photographs of people right before they're going to be executed in Taiwan. And so maybe you could give a bit more context as to the story that you're telling here and where it began. So the background of the stories happens in 1950 when in Taiwan we had a like white horror during which there were a lot of like a political victim or like prison they were like persecuted and the background of the story was shot in Green Island where there is like a jail and in that jail like most of the people are like political prisoners and even they were already in jail, but they were still like being accused of trying to overthrow the authority and everything, just because maybe like the books they were reading and stuff like that. And some of them were even executed. So the period of white horror lasted around like 30 years. Yeah, and many years has passed after the white oral ended. However, like uh, not until lately, the stories are being revealed by people and are being discussed. The reason for that is also because in Taiwan recently we're talking about transitional justice. That's sort of the reason why people are like talking more and more about the stories that was happening in the past. So in the film, there is a letter that was written 
to the family of the person who was executed. Those kind of like historical documents related to why Horo were locked up before and it was not open to public access until recently. So there are a lot of like documents that were like locked up for like 70, 80 years until recently. Yeah. So it sounds like you got access to new documents, but there was also the scene that you start in with a wax museum where you have a lot of figures that seem to be recreating one of these prisons and you have an actor that comes in. And so maybe you could talk about how that location of that wax museum may have also been an inspiration for what you created in this film. So the jail, the prison in Green Island, was later turned into a human rights memorial park. And one of the director's friends was involved in planning and organizing this human rights memorial park. And it was about like 10 years ago. So like she has always known about this place. So when she was commissioned to make this project, it was like within seconds she thought of the space. Yeah, and because there are like wax statues in the space, so the director was thinking, yeah, maybe there were some moments that those wax statues could represent those people who were really there and also like it could like reflect their stories. Yeah. So when I went to Green Island to do the scouting for like spaces and the shooting location was a bit like a dormitory and with wax statue like sitting in the space and so the director was sitting there although those statues are made of wax and they're fake but like she feel that she could sort of like hear their talking about their stories and stuff like that. Yeah, and we're here at the Venice Film Festival where your piece is premiering here, but there's also been, over the years as I've gone to the film festivals, there's been a lot of 360 videos that are coming out of Taiwan and also immersive works and HTC Vive is located in Taiwan. But maybe you could tell me a bit more about your first VR experience or how you got involved into 360 video filmmaking and you know what was the point where you made a transition making 2D films into 360 videos? So the reason why I started to make VR film was because Kaohsiung Film Lab invited me to produce my first v, um, the director's first VR film. And after getting the invitation, the director spent a lot of time like doing research and watching a lot of VR works. And then she realized that like in a lot of works, the body like the characters seems to be like kind of far from the viewer and so like in her like director's first VR film after image for tomorrow her attempt was trying to make a space and also make the viewer feel that in the VR the character are very close to them and also make the viewer feel the space is surrounding them just like they're in the real space. Yeah, and so as you were producing this piece, I watched the behind-the-scenes video, and the thing that I was struck by was the staging that you have and the lighting and the way that you were having to the left or the right, you could see a scene and then something in front of you. And it seemed to 
have a lot of influence from theater and insights from theater. So I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about the staging that you have in terms of how you're arranging things and the influences that you're bringing in, bringing theater practices and lighting into the process of making 360 video. So actually in the first film, after Image for Tomorrow, the director was already like using some of the elements like staging like from theater, for example, there's no like cut editing. Yeah, so like in the space, unlike other VR, maybe you, you have like one shot and then transition and then another shot. Yeah. It's no editing, no editing in, in, oh, in VR, no okay. cut editing. Some VR is cut, then change the oh, space. Okay. But I don't want this. I want in stage, the light change, okay. then space change. Okay, so in the first video film, like the approach was still, it was like the audience was standing in the same position while the scene changes around the viewer. But this time the director wanted to like push a little bit further. Like she was trying to make the scene changes while the audience is also looking around. Yeah, and back to the question, the director has always felt that VR is just like a theater space. So maybe that's why for her, how she uses it is sort of like similar. Yeah. So like she said, like one of the challenges in both VR works that she has done is how to balance between like the realistic feature quality or like, elements in the film or like between reality like realistics and also like those abstract elements that were usually used in theater. Yeah, and there's scenes of people who are in prison and then they are hung up and executed and You'd said in the behind-the-scenes video that you had seen these photos of people that were political prisoners right before they were about to be executed, and that you were really struck by how they were smiling. And I'm wondering if you came across some of these photos and how that played into expanding out into the larger context of what was happening leading up to those moments. So... When I was writing, uh, when the director was writing script, like she read a huge amount of letters that were like written by the prisoner to their family. And then she gradually realized that it is sort of like human nature or like innate desire for people to fight for a better future or like better living condition. And that's the moment that she realized that that's the universal language that people um would uh like fighting for like um even like in the 1950s up until like 2020s like what's happening like recently like people are still like doing the same thing like fighting for their future and yeah sorry yeah i'm i'm wondering if you could connect a little bit of looking into the past of what happened and then what's happening now with taiwan and china uh, 其实台湾的历史是复杂的 
Okay, so in fact, the history of Taiwan is very complicated, and so is the relationship between Taiwan and China. And over like this long period of time, a lot of people they sacrificed themselves to fight for the better future or what they believe, and that's happening in China, in Taiwan, in Hong Kong, and all over the world. For example, in the ending scenes, you can see those statues of people and strike and demonstration, and like. Those statues, like some of them, they have Western facial feature, and some of them they have like Asian facial feature, and that's kind of like representing that it's a universal issue that we all face. And also in that scene, you can also see umbrella, which is like a very direct reference related to what was happening in Hong Kong, and also like the song that was used. And the ending, like, is called like El Pueblo Unido, Jamás será ben vencido. That song is also like used, also like I think in Taiwan, like when they're doing like demonstration, and also around the world. Yeah, so the director put this universal like elements, and that could be relevant to people in the ending in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the people united will never be defeated. Is the Spanish translation that's being translated into Taiwan and the same type of revolutionary chants, I guess.、Um, so that last scene, I think, was really striking to me because you start with very similar to the wax statues, where you have these people who are still, but there's on one side the police, on the other side there's the people who are fighting for truth and justice and freedom, and that as the camera moved through it. You have the people that are still still, but you get this feeling of animation because you get the feeling of movement of what's happening. And so it was a really provocative way to end the piece by having these two sides going against each other, and by having the camera movement move through it. It it really gave a really unique feel. So、uh, I'd love to hear about the process of designing that scene. 就是一开始那个模型一开始其实两边是 piece. So. In the beginning of that scene, those like 3D models, they were like peaceful. As the camera was panning, the scene, the stride, the demonstration become like intensified, and like up until like that moment when like the statue of the police was going to hit the people on the other side, and the viewer was like placed in between this. So, like the viewers, they could turn their head, either as if they were going to be hit by the police, or like they can turn their head around looking at the people. And so, yeah, that's how it was designed. Yeah. Yeah, and throughout the course of the story, you have the political prisoners who are about to face execution, and they try to send some last messages to their family by hiding notes, writing stuff down, sewing them into the fabric. And then eventually getting back into the hands of the family, and I'm wondering if, as these new documents became available, if you found some of those notes, or if this was something that you created to tell the story, to explain the dynamics of the relationships of the husbands and wives and families, to have that as communication. So, were those notes something that you had found, or is that something that you created for the story? Uh, 这封家书的取材大概有四 So, like in that letter, 
It combines text from at least five real letters from the past by those political prisoners, and some of the texts are like the same as they were written, and some were actually modified by the director herself. And at the end of that letter, there is a poem. Uh, it was like written by like the deceased political prisoner. However, that letter, like that poem, it was not like given in a written form. That person like read that poem to a friend in prison, and that friend memorized it, and he left the jail, and then tell his friend's family about this poem. So yeah. Yeah, and in the film, there's a scene where, when you look to the left and to the right, you see these boards with writing on it, and the wife of the political prisoner is walking and looking at those. And maybe you could explain what those boards were, and if they were a part of something that was back then, or what was happening in that scene when she was looking at those writings. 就当时的家属，呃，不会除了除了寄出。So like those letters written. In prison, they were being examined, and if they're like sensitive, they would not be like sent to the family. So that explains why a lot of letters were locked up, like seventy, eighty years. Yeah. So like a lot of like family member of those prisoner, they didn't even know their family are going to be executed. Yeah. So that's the like board that would have the name written. Who were like executed, and so like some people would not even go there to check if their family were like executed. But like there are some like family wives, they would go there every day to see if their family are still alive or not. So back then, a lot of people were killed. So um, it's it's quite. <laughs> It's quite hard for the family to <laughs> to recognize、um, their husbands or family member. So that's why in the film, the wife, like in the letter, like told his husband he has to wear like、uh, the the shirt that she gave him and put his hands in the pocket. So like she could recognize him after he he was killed, yeah. But uh, 但是刚刚他讲的那个场景啊，那个很多很多布告栏那个场景。So in that scene with the board, it was a little bit like more like abstractized or like modified in a theatrical way. Like in reality, like. There might be just like a board with a piece of paper with a few names on it, but in the film, like director, sort of like make a scene with a lot of boards to represent that wife has been like looking for a long time to represent that process. Yeah. Yeah, and there is that. Contrast between what's going from the left and right with those boards, and then in the center is this build-up to the prisoners about to be executed. And another really striking moment in this piece was to have the prisoners hanging from the ceiling, and a number of the prisoners hanging from their hands. And so, I'm wondering if you could elaborate on the 
metaphoric or symbolic representation of those executions. And it was a really striking image to see all the people hanging. And I'm just wondering if you could explain the process of deciding how to depict those executions in that way. 手被吊起来的这个，它是就是当时有一个。So that was like also like a theatrical, like more abstract way to address that scene. Actually, like with their hand tied up and hand up, it was used as a way to torture those political victims. Yeah, and that scene was also like being drawn by a painter who was also a political victim and he was lucky that he didn't get executed so like he was able to like paint it out and so people could know like what was the torture that they went through yeah and so with that scene you can see a lot of people were being like hung up so that scene represents that a lot of like elder or like deceased fighters like political victims they were being treated that way back then yeah and in this piece you have a lot of this journey of the imprisonment and torture and death and connections to the family also the ending with the larger context of the universal aspects of this conflict and wondering if you could reflect upon these themes of death and then what hope or joy comes out of that or optimism from what you're trying to convey in this piece and the message that you're trying to tell. Okay, so other from like those like imprisonment and torture things, like the message the director wanted to convey was actually like this kind of things like political oppression doesn't just happen in 1950 in Taiwan, it happens all around the world and even now like it's happening and there are always people working and fighting for a better future, for a better world and like she wants that like people even in a, like a virtual world in VR, they could feel, you know, like how do you call that, like hot-blooded like, or but like they could be ignited to fight for what's better for them if needed. Yeah, it's sort of like encouragement. Yeah. So the main character in the VR, Akun, yeah, like the director sort of like kept him in the space of VR. So when the film started, like he said, like I've been waiting for you for a long time, and he want to finish his story. So that sentence was also a reminder to people: do not forget the stories, and keep the stories being told to make people in the future know about what was happening. And finally, what do you think is the ultimate potential of virtual reality and immersive storytelling and what it might be able to enable? Uh, There will be some more. Okay, so like VR for the director is a new medium on its own, just like photo, video, there are like different medias uh, transitioning. And so it is important to like view VR as its own category and we have to find its own language.
。那我觉得在 VR 里面很重要的一个是身体，就是我们为了。I think in the VR, like what's important is the existence of the body. Might sound a little bit strange, but the director. It might sound a bit strange, but she wants people to still remember their body and virtual reality world, because as we can expect, like in the future, people will spend more and more time in the VR. But like body is kind of important, and we should not like forget how a body exists in this medium. Yeah. 嗯，所以呃，当然，在 VR 的世界里面，只会越来越刺激感官。这个、so、like, nowadays, all those images, media, we're like trying to like provoke, like stimulate people's sensory, like. But the director doesn't want to do it in the like stimulating way, but like she wants to use like VR as a space to bring out people's emotions and feelings. 像我的我的第一支影片那个 After Image to, for Tomorrow， 它有一个。For example, for her first VR film, After Image for Tomorrow, there are like two versions of this piece. One is just like a standalone 360 version. Another one is a on-site version with the audience standing in the space. And for example, one time the piece was exhibited in the courtyard. In an open space, people were viewing, and there were like wind and breeze, and she thinks that sort of like created a new like corporal like experiences in VR, and that would be the direction that she would like to experiment and continue trying in the future. Yeah, and I'm curious. You were talking about the language of VR, and there's just a lot of influences from theater. But I'm I'm speaking English and you're speaking Mandarin Chinese, but the language differences between English and Chinese as a language is quite different from how there's a lot of context for Mandarin Chinese of things being related to each other, and it feels like VR as a medium may be closer to like a Chinese language than English language in the sense of creating a relational dynamics within the film. And so I'm wondering if you feel like speakers of Contextual languages like Chinese have particular insights for how to develop the language of VR based upon the language differences of Mandarin versus English. 就是语言产生，哎、嗯，是吗？它的语言是真正的语言，还是因为我刚刚讲说要找到新的语言是其实不是那个那个语言这样？嗯。Okay. Could you could you repeat your、uh, question? Because like、uh, when director said the language VR is sort of like a、um, foreign med, or it's not really like a spoken language, but like it's a style or something like that. So like your question was that in different.、Uh... Oh, just、uh, my understanding of the Mandarin Chinese is that when you speak a language, sometimes when you say the same thing, but if it's in relationship to other things, it changes, and so there's more of a. Context that is taking into consideration, and so VR as a medium seems to preserve some of those contextual dimensions more than the other previous media that may be more linear. There's more of a spatial, relational, contextual dimension to VR as a language.、Um, yeah. 我懂了，他应该是说像中文、英文有些是高语境语问题。So your question is like, I'm sorry, like if like VR. Just if, if there's a.、Uh, I mean, you—you you,、uh, language is something we speak and we swim in, and it's invisible to us. But 
if you feel like that there is certain aspects of Chinese culture or Taiwanese culture, like Chinese philosophy or other ways that are trying to see the, the larger context, thinking all about the relationships between things, it seems like for me at least VR as a medium is mirroring more of the Chinese contextual relational dynamics than it is the sort of more linear aspects of the English language. And so, yeah, just any thoughts or reflections on that? Uh, so, yeah, like the director agree with what you just said because like she also work on like a 2D film and she feels like film usually it's more like a closed system because like on um, the audience they're looking at what the director want them to see and with the editing and shooting and stuff like that however in vr it's more like a open system of course it's not like the audience they, they just see what they want to see like it was also organized and presented by the director but there are a lot more elements and in vr that could make the viewer things or relate their experiences with all those different things they see. Okay, so because of what she just mentioned, the director feels VR is more interesting and in a way more creative. For example, when she was writing the script, like sometimes she would like sort of like enclose her like views and to like look around to think what the audience might be seeing thinking so she would try to incorporate sort of like a sensory like a sensing body of the viewer into like the script writing process so like she could know what the viewers would be thinking and seeing yeah awesome and uh, is there any final messages that you'd like to share with the broader immersive community? Uh, okay, so the director, she feels that like people's sensory are usually taken for granted or like we get used to this. For example, when she just like try watching VR, when things like come into her, like she would just like her body would like move to dodge the flying object or something like that. But after viewing many VR films, like your body gets lazy or like get used to that and you stop being active. So just as what she mentioned before, like she wants to keep like trying to create this like a new corporal experiences in VR. Awesome. Well, congratulations on having your piece here. I really, really enjoyed it. thought it was really poetic and beautiful and really strong message. And so thanks again for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Singing Chen. She's the director of The Man Who Couldn't Leave, which won the Best Immersive Experience Prize at Venice, the top prize there, as well as Po Shan Wu, who's the distributor and also served as the interpreter for Singing Chen. So I have a number of takeaways about this interview is that, first of all, I mean, for me, the thing of um, the interpreter Po Shen Wu getting choked up of just thinking about the emotional impact of these political prisoners who there's these photos that they show in the behind the scenes videos. And I think that actually might be in the experience as well. But 
the just beaming smiles of people that are just expressing this joy and happiness and knowing that they may actually be the last images that are taken of them. And so to connect that sense of hope and optimism into the future, um, just really powerful to reflect upon this totalitarian martial law that was taking place in Taiwan for 38 to 43 years, however you measure it. There's a director's statement that I want to just read as well, because I think it ties into the character of this piece. So the director's statement from Singing Chen, the background to the man who couldn't leave derives from documents recounting the experiences of political dissidents imprisoned on Green Island during the White Terror of 1950s in Taiwan. It is narrated from the perspective of four symbolic characters, A. Quan, who recalls with regret his friend A. Ching, the man who couldn't leave. There's also A. Ching's wife, who held the secret of her husband's incarceration for many years, and A. Ching's daughter, who now inherits that story and is determined to keep it alive. It also lets the audience feel the suffering and hopes of these people and conveys their desires for a better society, hopes that transcend as universal values pursued by identity groups and new generations. In the end, it is only if stories are constantly told and the ideals and sacrifices of earlier generations are remembered. Can the dead souls rest in peace? And the spirit of an ideal society can be continued from generation to generation. Whew. So yeah, there's uh, a lot of like symbolic dream logic that I think is used in this piece that it's just really evocative imagery. And if you watch the behind the scenes video, which if you haven't already, I highly recommend checking that out just to get a sense of some of the different scenes if you haven't had a chance to see it, or even if you had a chance to see it, to really appreciate the production quality of all the stuff that they had to do. I think they mentioned in there that it's probably one of the most complicated 360 videos that have ever been made. Probably, you know, right up there is the ISS Space Explorer's experience of sending a camera up in space. But in terms of like production here on terrestrial Earth, this is definitely up there in terms of like one of the most sophisticated and complicated orchestrated experiences that I've seen in 360 video. So yeah, just the way that Singing Chen is holding up her hands over her eyes as she's blocking out all the staging and talking to Ming Yuan Chen, who's the VR supervisor, and also you know talking about their process of trying to block it out. So it's a powerful piece, and just the way that they're combining all these things into this, again, going back into like, okay, is this something that is a literal translation or a symbolic translation? And, and time and time again, taking that liberty of not trying to be photorealistic or authentic into what literally happened, but to use the medium of VR to create these dreamlike sequences that transport you into this realm where you see all these images of people hanging from the ceilings and you get the sense of that they're being tortured. And so it's a, a metaphor and a symbol that makes it feel like you're walking through a dream. And I think in there, behind the scenes, they were really going for that dreamlike imagery. And as I reflect more and more about the medium of VR, I keep coming back into this symbolic dream logic of the ways in which it is like a dream, like you're waking up for a dream. And in dreams, you use these symbols. And sometimes the symbols are very connected to what's happening for you as an individual. Sometimes they're as a collective, as a culture, or sometimes they're universal archetypal symbols. And so it's always this challenge of trying to take this poetic interpretation of this abstraction and trying to reach the type of imagery that is able to translate the feeling that you're going for 
into the thrust of the story. And I think that's, again and again, a successful interpretation of that type of symbolic dream logic into a narrative. And it just works so well, so powerful. And I was recommend people to not sleep on the 360 videos and medium because a lot of 360 videos in the past, they've been off in the corner. Like you can see the interactive experiences, which is what everybody thinks is going to be the future and frontiers of the medium. And then kind of off to the side is a 360 video. So I'm really glad that the curators this year, Liz and Michelle, got away of all this kind of bifurcation between the best immersive story versus the best interactive story and just put it into the best story because I agree that this is definitely up there in terms of one of the the best stories that was told here, regardless of however the mediums and the technology that was being used. But to reiterate the power and the difference of the 360 video as a medium is that you're able to really get into the emotional expression of the actors. And I think that was a big part of what really made this experience land is just to see the suffering, see the hope, see the grief, the sorrow, the pain and the death and grief and torture all these things that were acting and, and trying to really convey all these things as well. So that's really lost when you are translating into a computer generated environment. There's still a lot of power of being able to see another human's face and to activate those mirror neurons. And I just wanted to mention a couple of things that we didn't talk about here. There's some scenes where they're trying to convey these aspects of surveillance. And so they have this room where the wall is being opened up and you see this giant face looking in. So the use of macro photography to give this sense of the surveillance state that's looking over everybody that's in that room. And also the ending sequence of having what looks like to be like, think of like the aesthetic of a super hot type of low poly figures. And you have this dividing line between the protesters and the police. And there's a, a tracking shot that's happening from, from one end. And you're kind of zooming through this, what is a static statues. But as you move forward, you see this static actions be animated in a way. And again, it's not actually moving. They're all statues still, but it just from the camera movement, it gives you this sense of motion and how the scene is progressing into something that is this polar opposite between the state of the police versus the protesters. And to see how this polarization, you're just right in the middle, in the trenches, going right into the midst of this type of totalitarian control or surveillance. And so as we reflect upon what's happening in Taiwan and with China and the different tensions and all the different aspects of that complicated history and the potential for what's happening with Russia and Ukraine with this invasion that's happening there. And there's uncertainty as to whether or not there will be any type of military intervention from China into Taiwan or anything like that, you know, could potentially escalate into something like that, some signs that we've seen. And so there's particular interest of trying to look back into the past totalitarian history of this martial law that happened for 38 to 43 years looking into the past to be able to tell these stories, but also how those stories are reflecting as to what's happening in the moment. And I think that's another dimension for why The Man Who Couldn't Leave, the story within it is resonating so much more as well. And uh, yeah, highly recommend getting a chance to check it out if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, just a, a powerful use of the medium and, and happy to be able to sit down with Singing Chen. So yeah, that's all the takeaways that I have. The, the last section here is going to be the part of the interview that is in Mandarin Chinese. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com. And for all the other listeners, enjoy the Mandarin Chinese version of this conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Bo Shang Wu, and I'm working with director Xing Chen for this project, The Men Who Couldn't Leave, as the distribution coordinator. I'll also be translating for the director. Yeah. 
呃，大家好，我是心仪心音 Chen，I'm come from Taiwan。然后这个是我第二支 VR 影片。然后呃，我之前拍剧情片跟纪录片，然后所以呃上一部影片是 After Image for Tomorrows。然后这次很高兴可以带新的作品来呃威尼斯影展。OK， and、uh, so yeah， maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background。就是呃，可否请导演介绍一下，就是你个人的背景？然后还有就是创作的历程，整体来说，对。呃，我之前是拍剧情片跟呃纪录片这样，然后我拍的纪录片很多是关于剧场跟舞蹈的，然后有呃也关于很多呃现代当代的艺术家。那所以当我在做 VR 的时候，呃，我第一支片的时候，我就觉得 VR 它是一个关于空间的一个艺术这样，然后跟电影。很不一样，电影可能是关于时间的。那后来我就用了很多比较是剧场的方式在处理 VR 的空间。In your piece, you have photographs of people. Right. 好，在那个无法离开的人里面，有一些就是要被处决的人的照片。那可否请导演就是说明一下，就是这个故事的背景？对。呃，这个故事的背景是一九五零年代，台湾有呃所谓的白色恐怖这样，然后白色恐怖时期呢，呃，就是在呃政治犯。呃，其中一些政治犯被关在绿岛这个小岛，然后绿岛这个小岛，呃，他们已经被关在里面了，但是还是被罗织罪名，说他们有再叛乱的嫌疑，这样，所以就有大概十几位政治犯的前辈被枪决，然后这个故事的背景是这样子。白色恐怖时期其实有非常多的政治受难者死掉嘛，被枪决。那呃，有很多其实已经过了从五零年代到八零年代，已经三十年的期间是白色恐怖。然后，但是距离现在其实也已经过了很久了。可是到目前为止，台湾还是在一个转型正义的时期。那所以有很多很多个人的故事是最近才被挖掘出来的。那包含现呃呃，我们这次看到的这支影片这样。在在故事里面，在故事里面有一个很关键的是，呃，那个遗书嘛，就藏在衣服里的遗书。那像这个遗书，其实呃，也是最近才有呃，就是慢慢的一封以以前这些都是不能被看的档案，就是被锁起来的档案。然后这些档案是最近才被挖出来，所以这些遗书都已经经过了呃这么久的时间，可能已经快七八十年的时间才被交给呃后代的呃就是家属的后代这样。So it sounds like you got access to new documents, but there was also the scene that you started. So, uh, 那一些呃，就是重新被公开的文件，算是呃创作的启发嘛。当然，在呃作品里面也有呃这个蜡像馆。那可以请导演讨呃谈谈看，就是蜡像馆这个空间作为一个呃启发或者创作的，嗯，对，创作的启发，嗯。呃，当绿岛这个监狱在呃呃很多年前，它要变成一个人权园区的时候，那那个时候我我有一位前辈的朋友，他就是负责规划那个绿岛的人权园区。那他们做了那个蜡像之后，我自己觉得那个空间非常的嗯，其实。其实是对 VR 来讲是非常好的，因为它就是一个蜡像，其实它就是一个虚虚拟的
虚拟的人像在那里，就已经它有实体，它有呃呃物质性，可是它又是虚拟的。那那个时候我在我在做第二支 VR 的时候，我就立刻想到这个场景，就觉得说，如果那些人真的在某些 moment 真的动起来的时候，好像观众可以完全在那个现场穿越历史跟呃穿越空间，好像可以回到了一九五零年代的现场，所以很想要利用这个空间这样。嗯。就你说那个前辈是嗯，算你的朋友，然后对，我其实算是规划那个绿岛园区的人是我的朋友，这样、哦。所以你那时候就有问他，还是这个朋友跟这个空间的嗯？没，嗯，你在问什么？嗯嗯，我只是在在串那个我翻译的那个关系。就是哦，我一说那个空间已经、嗯、哦，是因为哦，是因为他规划了，所以你就很直接想到这个空间。呃，应该是说在规划的，因为这个园区已经。多久了？应该可能快快有没有十年的时间了、嗯嗯嗯嗯？对，所以十年前我就知道我这个空间了。Oh, okay, 对，嗯、oh, okay. 可能不是十年了，我有点忘记它园区是 built 在什么时候。对，哦、oh, 嗯，好，那懂。所以你以前已经知道、嗯，然后是要做这个布片子的时候，你就又想,想、oh, ，OK， 好，懂了。OK， so， um。呃，我我就是我我去绿岛的时候，其实有好几次是坐在那个，因为他们就是一个寝室嘛，然后其实你坐在那边旁边都是蜡像，那都是假人，但是你仿佛可以想象他们的声音在旁边，所以这个也是那个时候的一个启发的一个一个灵感的来源，这样，嗯。Yeah, and we're here at the Venice Film Festival where your piece is premiering here. But there's also been. 好，嗯，好，前言大概就是威尼斯有很多三六零的片子。Mm-hmm. 那台湾就是过去到现在，呃，我们甚至有 HTC Vive， 他们也在自己做三六零的内容。那台湾也有许多创作者在拍三六零的内容。那可不可以请导演呃分享一下，就是当初如何会开始从就是。平面电影，然后转为去做就是 VR 电呃 VR 作品这个这个这个转向，对。呃，一开始我做上一支片 After In Image for Tomorrow 的时候，其实是高雄 Film Lab 他们的邀请，呃，邀请我做一支关于舞蹈的影片。那在我慢慢理解那那段时间，我其实之前也看过 VR， 但是不多。但是在那个之后，我就开始很大量的摄取就是 VR 的影片来看，这样。然后我自己觉得有一个现象是，呃，它跟人的身体很接近。嗯、所以在我上一支影片的时候，我想要做的事情是如何把人的身体给给呃怎么讲给给抓进去那个 VR 的空间里，因为我看了很多 VR， 它其实有时候你知道那个 VR 在讲什么，可是其实你跟它是很有距离的，你你没有真的真的身临其境在里面。对，所以我上一支片的。重点就是如何让观众可以被抓进去那个空间，你是真的，不管是你的里面或者说你的身体都有感受，这样对那个身体感的部分。嗯。Yeah, and so as you were producing this piece, I watched the behind-the-scenes video, and the thing that I was struck by was the staging that you have and the lighting and the way that you were having to the left or the right, you could see a scene and then something in front of you, and it seemed to Have a lot of influence from theater and insights from theater. So I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about the staging that you have in terms of how you're arranging things and the influences that you're bringing in, bringing theater practices and lighting into the process of making 360 video. 
他只说他看呃 VR 的时候，感觉就是这个舞台的陈设或者灯光，就是呃包含就是你要向左看、向右看、向右看、向右看，这个非常感觉得出来是有剧场的影响。那就是想请导演就是谈谈看，就是呃这其中就是剧场比如说的影响，或者是怎么去规划这些场景调度跟灯光的，嗯。呃，当我在做第一支片《After Image for Tomorrow》的时候，其实就已经用了一些剧场的方式了，就是我我里面没有真正的 cut 的这种剪接，然后是用，因为剧场其实 VR 我自己觉得很像剧场了，因为剧场它就是同一个空间 space 也是一样的，但是用灯光用各种布景的变化，让它的空间的属性是转换的，所以在我的 VR 里面也用了很多类似这样子的方式。你要先翻吗？我再往下讲。嗯，没有 cut 就一镜到底嘛，就是不是他就是没有 edit， 他没有 cut， 他没有他他不算是有真正的剪接。哦，这那也不算一镜到底、嗯，不是一镜到底。嗯，呀、yeah. 嗯，你打断我，所以我有点忘忘记我我要讲到哪、嗯？问题是什么？他是说剧场的影响，然后剧场，然后呃，这一次呃，所以这一次呃，有有更有野心想要去突破的是如何让那个，因为上次的转换是观众还是在原地，然后他三百六十度的空间是转换的，可是这次想要做的是有没有可能更加利用那个空间的位移，然后当。当观众在位移跟转变的时候，其实那个空间就慢慢的转变了。这是这次的野心，这样，嗯。然后在上一支影片的时候，其实我们就很挣扎，说到底是要实景拍摄，还是说要像剧场一样稍微有点抽象虚拟这样子，就是呃比较抽象的美学的表现的形式这样。这在上一支就已经有做很多的挣扎，然后延续到这一支其实也有，就是你如何在真实跟抽象的剧场中间取得一个平衡，这个也是这两次都有在做的。嗯。Yeah, and there's scenes of People who are in prison and then they are hung up and executed, and you said in the. 好，就是你好像在那个 creators video 里面有讲说，就是你有看那些照片，那他们在被枪决前是笑着的。那导演如何从就是这些照片，然后把就是整个故事扩，就是把这一些素材扩扩，就是扩增成就是这这部作品，对。嗯、呃，我在写剧本的时候，我大量的阅读了，就是呃，关于呃这些受难者们的信，就是看了很多，就是受难者写给家人的家书啊，或遗书啊，或者是各种文字。那其实呃，慢慢的可以理解到说，呃，争取更好的生活，其实是每个人都会希望的，就是希望我们自己或我们的朋友、家人，他有一个更美好的生活。那他们只是在为了这个争取，呃，就是为了这个争取他们的理想，这样。所以后来我抓到这个点之后，就觉得这个其实是全世界的共同的。嗯，那当这个东西是全世界共同的时候，其实从呃现在的二零二零穿越到一九五零，再回到现在。二零二零，全世界都还有很多在发生这样的事情。那那些笑容对我来讲，就是我觉得那些前辈之所以会笑，是因为他们知道到了现在都还会有人，就是继续好像有了这些理想，继续为了这些事情在奋斗。这样，嗯。Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if you could connect a little bit of looking.
啊、呃，那导演可否做，就是从过去这些事情，然后跟现在跟中国的关系做做做，有没有什么连接？对，或想法？呃，其实台湾的历史是复杂的，然后台湾本身的历史就是复杂的，然后台湾跟中国的关系也是一直都是很复杂的。那呃，这个从这么久以来的时间，其实不同的年代有因为不同的议题。有不很多不同的牺牲者，嗯，那其实这个故事对我来讲，虽然是 base 在台湾，但是全世界我觉得不只是中国跟台湾跟香港，嗯，都在发生一样的事情。所以最后那个三 D 的模型里面，其实也有外国人，也有东方人，然后也有看到雨伞。那当然很很很容易直接联想的是，呃，那个雨伞运动的雨伞嘛，对。所以那另外一个就是我们片尾用的曲子，就是团结的人民永。不被击溃这首曲子，不管是在台湾的学生运动上面，或社会运动，或者是香港的社会运动，或者是全世界的运动，都都共同在使用这首歌，所以那个时候也是把这首歌纳进来的一个原因。这样，嗯，团结人民的英文，英文是的。OK， Yeah， OK， So that's the people united will never be defeated is the Spanish translation that's being translated into Taiwan and the same type of Revolutionary chance, I guess.、Um, so that last scene, I think, was.、Really、好，那他说就是最后那个一段对他来说是非常，呃，震震惊嘛，或者是让他非常惊讶的，就是，呃，那两那两排的模型有点像，有点像蜡像的感觉。然后，呃，他们也是排成两排，然后随着那个相机就是在 pan 的时候。就是他们又有在互相抗争的这种感觉，那他觉得这个是蛮 provocative， 有点挑衅，或者是嗯会，对。就是一开始那个模型一开始其实两边是 peace 的，嗯、就是一边在抗议，但是随着镜头慢慢的往后推的时候，嗯、其实抗争的强度是越来越强了、嗯，然后开始也有警察跟人民之间的肢体的冲突、嗯、暴力的冲突。那我停在一个 moment， 可能观众。不知道有没有发觉，就是那个 moment 是那个那个警察要打向旁边的另外一个人、嗯，可是那个位置我们设计在他停在好像那个警察要打你，嗯、那你可以选择，那有点像是想要呃人，我们观众是站在中间嘛，你要面对的是这边，还是你要面对的是这边、嗯，然后以及有一个人要打你之类的、嗯、这种象征这样。嗯、OK。Yeah, and throughout the course of the story, you have the Political prisoners who are about to face execution. And 好，他就说，就是那那个书里面，呃、啊，不是这个，就是影片里面有一封家书嘛。然后就是他们被藏在衣服里面，然后最后就是辗转到了家人的手上。那这些文字是你自己撰写的吗？还是其实是你在取材过程中找到集结起来的？呃，这封家书的取材大概有四五个，因、欸、可能五六个，呃，就是取材自很多前辈真实的家书，然后我、呃、有一些文字是一模一样的，然后有一些是我经过改写的，所以是有点综合了很多前辈们的家书这样。但是最后那一首诗，就是他不是写一首诗要留给他他的太太跟小孩嘛？最后那一首诗是。
真的是一位前辈，就是这样子写的。那那那首诗不是他写了写下来给他的小孩，真实的状况是，呃，他要他要死掉了，他要去枪决了，然后他把这首诗呃告诉他一个。朋友狱友哈、嗯嗯，然后这个狱友带出去，用用 voice 的方式带出去给他的家人，这样。嗯，嗯嗯所以那那那诗还是给家人，但只是不是他们用。那只,只是不是用写的是，是就是其他文字都是真实的，只是这封这个这个诗的部分是借由口传出去的。嗯，好。In in the film, there's a scene where when you look to the left and to the right, you see these. Boards with. 就是有一个场景是那个老婆她在那个有点像告示牌，然后在看东西。那导演可不可以说明一下，就是那那些告示牌或者那个场景的呃告示牌作用，或者那场景那个那个那个老婆是在做什么事情？就当时的家属。呃，不会，除了除了寄出来没有问题的家书以外，但是有时候也寄不到给寄不，就是寄不到给家属，所以他们有时候，呃，信是拿不到的，哼，那所以他们没有办法知道。枪决也不会先通知家属，所以每天都要去看那个告示牌上面有没有自己亲人的名字，然后如果有的话，就知道说那就被枪毙了。所以那个时候有很多家属会直接如果。有有些人也不敢去看，但是有些家族会直接去看告示牌上面的名字有没有我亲人的名字，这样。Okay. 嗯，呃，因为当时也有非常多人被枪决嘛，所以其实尸体有时候也很难辨认。那所以里面太太写给先生的信才会说，呃，当然一定不一定是这样认出来，但是他写给他的信说，请他把手放在他的口袋，然后要穿那件衣服，他才可以认得那个尸体。嗯。请这可以再解释一下，就是太太、就是、不是太太有、嗯、太太有写一封信给老公嘛，然后他信里面有写说你要穿我做给你的那件长衫、哦，然后双手要放在口袋，这样他才认得出那个尸体是是就是就是你，不然他完完全认可能认不出来，对。嗯、好，呃，但是刚刚他讲的那个场景啊，那个很多很多布告栏那个场景，他并不是这个就是有点抽象式的处理方式，因为真正的布告栏可能只有一两个，但是。我把它弄成一整排，这样只是比较抽象的，让太太好像一直在找，一直在找这样。嗯、yeah, and there is that contrast between what's going from the left and right with those boards, and then in the center is this. 就是除了告示牌那个场景，另外一个很惊人的场景就是那个手倒掉的那个场景。就是导演当初怎么会选择就是做这个场景作为呃他们强。就被要枪决的这个场景，对。呃，手被吊起来的这个，他是就是当时有一个也是政治受难者，他没有被没有被刑没有被枪决，然后他出来他画的，他有他是一个画家，然后他画了他在监狱里面的很多事情，这样，然后包含被吊起来各种刑求的方式，所以那样被吊起来被刑求的方式是前辈们画画出来，我们才知道有这样子的方式，这样。然后那当然那个被刑求，我我用了也那个也是一个象征的手法，就是很多本来是一个，然后两三个，然后越来越多个，那个是有点象征很多前辈被这样子对待，它也是一个比较抽象的处理的方式，这样，嗯。Yeah, and in this piece, you have a lot of this journey of the imprisonment and torture and death and connections to the family. 
。所以呃，这个片子里面有很多就是呃被刑求的场景等等的，然后呃，就除了这一些重现历史，就是苦痛的记忆，就是导演还有想要传递什么其他的讯息吗？对。我想就是刚刚有提到，就是说这些事情它不只是发生在一九五零年代或过去这样，就是就算是现在，呃，世界上很多地方都还是发生同样的事情。然后人们因为想要追求更美好的世界或更美好的生活而受苦。那我我所以最后面那个唱歌的场景跟呃三 D 建模的场景，就很希望大家呃，就是就算是在这个虚拟世界也好，你也可以感受到那种。呃，你的热，你的血被沸腾了起来，然后我们可以做一些什么？不管是你是任何国家、任何的人都可以，为了你，你有更美好的世界或或生活而奋斗，这样，嗯。因为里面那个昆博那个角色，那个我有点后设的把他给关在 VR 里面，他好像关在那个 VR， 关在那个场景或历史里面，一直在等一个人。那其实当观众进去的时候，他就是说：“哦，我等你等好久了，我想要把这个故事继续说下去。”也是有这样的意图，就是我们不要忘记过去这些前辈们的故事。这样，嗯。And finally, what do you think is the ultimate potential of Virtual reality and immersive storytelling, and what it might be able to enable. 那就是导演觉得就是未来就是 V V R 更终极的可能潜力会是什么？那对有可能带来什么样的嗯创作的可能等等的嗯。呃，我觉得 V R 它是一个新的媒体啊。就好像从我们从影呃呃呃呃照片过渡到动态影像，它是不同的媒体的载体，这样，那它当然可以有很多的运用，就是它它不是就是 VR， 它并不是电影或动态影像的一支，而是它自己就是一个新的类别了。那我们必须要替这个新的类别找到一个新的语言的方式，这样，嗯，你要先翻吗？嗯、没关系，我可以我记下来。哦嗯，你没关系，你先放。Okay. 那我觉得在 VR 里面很重要的一个是身体，就是我们未来只会越来越习惯在那个世界里面。那如何让里面的人不要忘记身体是重要的？就是不管不管怎么样，这个这个身体存不存在，就是不不就是说我我不想要让大家就是习惯那个世界以后忘记了身体。这个有点奇怪的说法，但是这个是我的感受，这样，嗯嗯，所以呃，当然在 VR 的世界里面，只会越来越刺激感官这个部分嘛，就像电影一样，越来越都在刺激我们的感官。但是我比较想要反其道而行，就是说，呃，在我不要刺激你感官的方式里面，有没有可能把你已经遗忘的感情给给给蒸馏出来，或给带出来，这样，嗯。像我的我的第一支影片那个 After Image to, for Tomorrow， 它有一个纯它有纯三六零影片版的，那它也有一个版本是呃现场有舞者的，呃，然后在在呃很多的状况下，其实带着 VR， 然后我们是在一个。通透的空间，就像这个中庭一样，在那边看。然后在看的时候，其实有风吹过来。然后那个瞬间，其实呃，你会等于说你会有新的身体的感受。比如说类似这种，可能是呃，我未来比较想要再多尝试的或寻找的。嗯。Yeah, and I'm 
curious, you were talking about the language of VR and there's just a lot of influences from theater, but I'm, I'm speaking English and you're speaking Mandarin Chinese, but the language differences between English and Chinese as a language is quite different from how there's a lot of context for Mandarin Chinese, the things being related to each other. And it feels like VR as a medium may be closer to like a Chinese language than English language in the sense of creating a relational dynamics within the film. And so I'm wondering if you feel like speakers of contextual languages like Chinese have particular insights for how to develop the language of VR based upon the language differences of Mandarin versus English. Oh, I think I understand his 但看导演理解是不是一样 Okay. Could you, could you repeat your uh, question? Because like uh, when director said the language VR is sort of like a um, format or it's not really like a spoken language, but like it's a style or something like that. So like your question was that in different... Uh, oh, just uh, my understanding of the Mandarin Chinese is that when you speak a language, sometimes when you say the same thing, but if it's in relationship to other things, it changes. And so there's more of a context that is taking into consideration and so vr as a medium seems to preserve some of those contextual dimensions more than the other previous media that may be more linear there's more of a spatial relational contextual dimension to vr as a language um yeah 我懂了他应该是说像中文英文有些是高语境语言有些是地语境语言那他想找 可能是他高语什么意思还是什么？哦，就有一些，比如说中文就是高语境语言，就是我们有时候讲一些东西，你你你你你，它其实有很多意涵，然后你必须要靠很多很多周遭的环境，你才能去判断那个人讲的什么意
系统。就是那个电影本身，它是一个很封闭的系统，就是，呃呃，就是导演要你看什么，或要你怎么，或或剧情怎么走，它其实是一个封闭系统。可是 VR 有可能是一个开放式的系统，但这个开放式的系统并不是呃。呃，完全的让观众哦，你爱看什么就看什么，而是我们可以提供很多，你、欸、他可以联想的各种东西，然后让他抓到他自己可以理解的一个一个怎么样内内在叙事的方式，这样，嗯。所以对对我来讲，其实 VR 是更有趣的，也更有创造力的。因为我不只是在讲一个故事而已。我我常常在写剧本的时候，我还我会这样子，然后我会猜想观众，可能观众他感觉到什么，我必须把观众的感觉系统给纳进来。这样，我觉得这个对我来说非常有趣。这样，嗯，所以我也在想象不同的人。他不同的身体，他会感受到什么？那这个其实是很复杂的。但是这个对我来讲，都是在写剧本的时候，我就会，呃，就会就会去思考的。Okay. 嗯。Awesome. And、uh, is there any final messages that you'd like to share with the broader immersive community? 你有一些最后哪一些什么讯息啊？或想对于呃这个 VR 社群、VR 观众想说的话？嗯、呃。我我觉得人的感官是很容易堕落的，对。<笑>那人很容易堕落的意思是说，当我第一次看 VR， 有这两个人在我旁边讲话的时候，就我左边一个，右边一个在讲话的时候，然后当这个人在讲话，我会想要退后一步，然后当这个人经过，我也我也会想要退后一步，就是我有一个身体感。但是我看越来越多 VR 之后，有东西经过我，我就嗯没有感觉。就是我就习惯了那个感觉，所以我觉得人的身体跟感官很容易就习惯了或堕落了。对，所以我很希望可以在这个 VR 世界里面，刚刚在讲的就是怎么样把你这个堕落的身体再再找回来这件事情，我非常感兴趣。然后，所以比如说我的片，我很希望观众可以站着，也是因为当你站着，你你你是一种。你的你的身体有一种动能、嗯，对。可是当你坐着的时候，你这个是 safe 的，嗯、你很安全的、嗯，对。所以我很希望就是在这个世界里面，我们可以就是刚刚其实讲过了，就是找回这个新的身体这样。嗯、OK， 我落子好难。OK， 我翻一下。Awesome. Well, congratulations on having your piece here. I really really enjoyed it. Thought it was really poetic and beautiful and really strong message. And so. Thanks again for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. So again, that was Singing Chen, the director of *The Man Who Couldn't Leave*, which won the Best Immersive Prize at Finis 2022, as well as the Interpreter, which is Po Shan Wu, who is the distributor who is distributing *The Man Who Couldn't Leave*. So I have my takeaways earlier in the podcast, back for the first part of the interview. If you missed that, but. I just want to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a listener-supported podcast, and so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com/slash Voices of VR. Thanks for listening.